Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today, wherever you're tuning in from around the world. God bless you today. I want to begin this broadcast out of the book of Revelation, chapter 12, and we're going to be leaning heavy on the Holy Spirit to really bring us into what it is that God is showing us today. So I want to begin by looking through the lens of Scripture at the signs of the times and the hope that we will find an interpretation that is worthy to be administered today. So Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, I'm looking for something very key here, and, and then I'm going I'm to show you why we're going here. And here's what we read. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. All right, so I'm going to read that again, and I want to, I know just bringing people into the broadcast right now, welcoming people coming in, but in Revelation chapter 12, you know the, the picture behind me that I've been putting out there, if you didn't know, is the island of Patmos. And the island of Patmos is where John was given the revelation. And that's where we get the book of Revelation from. And it's an island. It was a very rocky island. There's a lot to say about Patmos. It literally means my killing and, you know, talk about death to self. And John was on that island for the word of the Lord. We know that. 
and he was given an opportunity to peer into the things of God. And he was transported into the throne room of God, the heavens. Uh, He saw things that were going to be coming on the earth, and he's in the spirit. And it's an amazing gift that God gave to this man. And now at this point in, in what we call Revelation chapter 12, he's in the spirit again. And by the spirit of the Lord, he's seeing an event. The event that he is describing in Revelation chapter 12 has to do with a constellation. So if you can imagine John in the spirit foreseeing a day that the constellations would line up in a particular fashion, he was actually seeing that constellation and then giving interpretation to what it actually means. So what does he see again? 2,000 years ago, or two millennial days ago, John sees a great wonder in heaven. So there's the constellations. He's seeing this. A woman, which we call Virgo. Virgo is the constellation that he saw. And she was clothed with the sun. So he saw a time when the constellation Virgo would be in a particular setting. The sun would be bursting through her constellation. She's clothed with the sun. The moon would be positioned under her feet. He saw the moon under her feet. And upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. And we know that Leo, the constellation Leo, has nine stars. And we happen to have learned that just a short time ago, on September 23rd, 2017, this very constellation showed up in the heavens, most visible in Jerusalem, Israel, in that part of the world. And we learned that on that particular day, September 23rd, 2017, that there were three other planets that joined Leo at the very crown of Virgo. And that was the planet Venus, and there was Jupiter. Well, no, it was Venus... Saturn, oh, I've got it written down. Let me just get it into the absolute here so we can do this. Because this is remarkable, quite frankly, how these signs absolutely showed up. And, uh, and I'm in a new Bible, and I'm not finding what I'm looking for, but somebody could tell me. I believe it was Saturn and uh, Jupiter was coming out of the matrix. And we're going to get to that in just, just a second. Oh, boy. What a bummer. Well, welcome to the broadcast. We're studying Revelation chapter 12. I'm getting to the place where the three planets that joined the constellation Leo on September 23rd, 2017. And because I have all my notes written in my Bible, that's where they are. They're in my Bible. But somebody's going to help me. Uh, The three planets that joined Leo on September 23rd. And uh, I know it was Venus, I think it was, gosh, Saturn, and I want to say Mars, but I'm not so sure it is. Uh, But these three planets, and by the time we're done here, somebody's going to call in and let me know who the three planets were to remind me. But I, I remember, going back to Revelation 12, that John in the Spirit is seeing this exact alignment. Some people said that this alignment that happened on September 23rd, 2017, was an alignment that had not been in our view or in the view of man for over 5,000 years. And so 2,000 years ago, John in the Spirit foresaw a day 
that that alignment would show up in the heavens. And then he goes on to say, so here's what we have. We have Virgo, the woman, and the constellation with the moon under her feet, the sun bursting through the constellation. She's clothed with the sun. Leo is at her head with nine stars, and then three other stars joined in conjunction that night, September 23rd, 2017. And so we had the crown of 12 stars. And then he said that she was travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Now, on September 23rd, 2017, what was noted is that the planet Jupiter, the king planet, I believe it was, was exiting the matrix of the constellation Virgo. Now, you know, we look at that and we say, well, what does that actually mean? And that's what we're going to get, an interpretation of what, why this is even in the Bible and how unique it is that our generation actually witnessed this passage of Scripture show up above our heads in our lifetime. And what is also very unique, before I go any further, was that this is right on the heels of the tetrad of blood red moons and solar eclipses that happened from 2014 all the way to 2016. So again, I want to just remind you to walk you through this again, um, that in 2014, during the Feast of Passover, which was a spring feast, is a spring feast, 2014, there was a blood red moon during Passover. And then in 2014, six months later, during the Feast of Tabernacles, there was another blood red moon. I know you know this. There was another blood red moon. And then the following Passover in 2015, there was a third blood red moon. And then six months later in 2015, during the Feast of Tabernacles, there was a fourth blood red moon. Now, the, this event known as a tetrad, back-to-back blood red moons on feast days, was known as a tetrad. And there was historical data of global events that would happen during such tetrads of blood red moons. And somebody had written a book, and it was all marking the history of the Jewish people and how they were being uh, you know, uh, becoming refugees out of Spain in 1492, I think it was, and um, we can get all the dates, but you'll remember there's a history of blood red moons. So it wasn't the first time a tetrad showed up, but every other time it showed up, it had something to do with the economy of God in Israel. This happened in 2014 and 2015. Then in the most turmoilous election in our nation's history outside of maybe one or two others, um, Donald J. Trump comes to power. He becomes the president of the United States, and there's turmoil throughout the U.S., and a solar eclipse shows up in 2016 and begins somewhere around Portland, Oregon, in, in that area, and cuts directly through the center of the United States of America, ending up, I believe, somewhere in South Carolina, and it passed through seven towns in our nation that had the word Salem. And Salam or Salim, Salem means peace. And it X'd it right through. There was a line going right down the center. That was very unique. So we had celestial signs in 2014, 2015, 2016. Then in 2017, we had 
this Revelation chapter 12 constellation show up in an, exactly the way it was written by the, the, the Apostle John, who saw it 2,000 years ago, which is very, very unique. And so this was true. It wasn't trying to fit circles into squares. These events actually happened. Now, we remember what these events actually mean. And to understand them, we went back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis, and we read, like everybody else did, on the fourth day of creation, and this is what we read in verse 14, Genesis 1:14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. So God is calling for lights in the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be, these lights, for signs and for seasons, for oaths in the Hebrew, O-T-H, an oath, which is an omen, a warning, a red flag event, a sign. So when these certain signs would show up in the heavens, they were to signal to the earth something ominous is ready to happen, okay? And then he said they were also for seasons, and the word seasons in the Hebrew is the moed, and the moed means to call together for celebration, to gather together for feast days, it was literally a sign in the heavens where the priests would see the certain alignment. They would see these signs, and they would prepare the people for a gathering, uh, the feast days. It's literally talking about the feast days of the Lord, the, the gathering together of the, oh, there's so, so many words to identify this. But that's what the Moed is, the convocations of the Lord, the gatherings together, the feast days. In the Hebrew, the word actually means that. So we looked at this and said, okay, so God put the sun, moon, and stars. Here's what it looks like. He put the lights to divide the day from the night. He said, let these lights, which he's referring to the sun, moon, and stars, and for, uh, let them be for signs of season and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. Uh, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. So we know that the greater light to rule the day was the sun and the lesser light to rule the night was the moon. And then he said, and God set, uh, and he made the stars also. So God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to, uh, to rule the night. He made the stars also. So we have the sun, the moon, the stars, God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to divide the light from the darkness. And again, what were those lights for? Signs and seasons, oaths and moeds. So when we come to a time in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, and we read about a constellation that is to be a sign or a ominous warning or a signal from the heavens to the earth, and there's something there that we're to interpret from it, and it happens in 2017 on September 23rd, and then we have prior to that in 2014, 2015, 2016, blood red moons, tetras, very specific in their timing, and then solar eclipses, God is speaking. And you look at the world today, and you say, well, 
2014, this is the year 2022. We're moving into the eighth year. This spring will begin the eighth year, okay? I think April 2nd, I know April 2nd is in the economy of God. It is the new year. In the Torah, according to Exodus chapter 12, April 2nd, 2022, is the first day of the first month of a brand new year. And then 14 days later, around April 16th, will be Pesach, okay, the Feast of Passover. So it was, it, we're coming into the final month. Today is the first day of March, as we know it. And this is the final month of the year 5781. We are still in the Hebrew year, according to the Hebrew calendar, as we understand it, the year 5781. The year 5781 was very interesting because that number in the Hebrew, if you go to a Hebrew concordance and type in the number 5781, it brings you to a a word that means pack your bags. It means pressure. It means affliction. It means distress in the Hebrew. So many years ago, God told us that there was a a whole pattern of the years, 5777, all the way through. And now we have been in the year 5781 since last spring. So we're not only in a year that means pack your bags. We're not only in a year, the last month of this year, by the way, that means being in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people right now. We're not only living at a time where uh, the meaning of things is anguish and pressure, And all those definitions of anguish, pressure, distress, which 5781 means, is speaking of what we understand the scripture to mean great tribulation. So now, we're at this time, Revelation 12, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle John is seeing this constellation. This constellation shows up in our generation, with everything else going on in the world today, in our generation, i.e. Israel becoming a nation, after 1900 and some odd years being scattered to the ends of the earth, 1948, after World War I, after World War II, okay? The League of Nations is coming to an end. They're now making it the United Nations. Out of World War II comes Israel, giving the right to gather together as a nation. We know that a generation, according to Scripture, there are 20-year generations, 40-year generations, 70-year generations in the Bible, 80-year generations, 100-year generations, and 120-year generations. All right, this is very significant. And we have to understand each one. So when God says that a generation in the book of Psalms He gives unto man 70 years. A lifetime would be 70 years. 80 years if by strength. That's in your Bible. I believe it's Psalm chapter 90. We'll look at that in just a moment. Well, let's look at it right now. But I don't want to get off track. So I'll get to Psalm chapter 90 here in just a sec. So I got to do it. All right. Psalm chapter 90. Let's see. For all the ways of heaven above and above and above and above. Okay. Okay, so thou turnest, okay, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. 
Um, okay, we're going to have to find that out, too. So I need the three planets. Um, okay, somebody's going to – Mercury, Venus, and Mars. Phil Buswell. Thank you, Phil. So the three planets that lined up with Leo in the constellation of Revelation 12 were Mercury, Venus, and Mars, not Saturn. Mercury, Venus, and Mars. And then Jupiter was the one that was birthing out of the matrix. Okay, so that was that whole constellation. Now, Phil, I need you to find out where it says uh, 70 years, a man is given in 80 years if by strength. And then why do we bring that up? So, Israel becomes a nation in 1948. It's the generation, we are the generation that witnessed Israel become a nation. Israel, in two months and a half, two and a half months, around May 14th, will be 74 years old. Right now, she's 73 years old, okay? 80 years is an expiration date of a generation, which means we're coming into about seven years left. Seven years left of the generation that witnessed Israel become a nation. Now, whether we think that is significant or not, I'm just laying forth the facts right now. We're not prophesying, we're not prophesying or being prophetic. We are simply declaring the facts. All right, so in 1970, uh, excuse me, 1948, so where we are right now, 73 years, in two months, Israel will be 74 years, 80 years as a generation, if given strength by God. Obviously, Israel's been given strength by God to continue on all these years. Again, the uniqueness is that we're here to see it happen. We're here to see the constellation of Revelation 12 happen. We're here to have been a part of the tetrad of blood red moons in our generation with a solar eclipse and another one coming that's going to cross the United States again, I believe. There's a big X coming. That's another story in in a very short time from now. So we have all these events taking place, and our job is to look at them. Why? Because God said, when you see these things happening, I'm sending you a sign. I'm warning you that things that are being transmitted from heaven to your understanding are actually going to manifest upon this earth. You are going to see the manifestation of the things I'm telling you that are coming. If I send you a sign and it's time to gather for the feast days, those feast days will become a reality. And if I send you an omen of something that's going to happen on this earth, it's going to happen. But I'm sending you a signal in advance so that you could get ready. So not only are we witnessing Israel become a nation, not only are we seeing the Tetrad, not only the solar eclipse, not only the Revelation 12 constellation in perfection, not only are we seeing all these things happening in our generation, but we have the evidence, 5781, pack your bags, distress, pressure, anguish is coming. You know, that could absolutely mean by the time we get to April, if we haven't already begun this moment of tribulation all over the world with wars and rumors of wars and and all these different things, folks, we could be right now in position to begin to listen. Let's go back to the book of Revelation 12 and let it speak for itself where we may be, okay? So with all that evidence, science, nature, the Bible lining up, stars are lining up, he said in verse 3, there appeared another wonder in heaven. So 
Here you have Virgo. She's giving birth, and all these events are happening. Then there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. This is all symbology in the constellations. Here we have the red dragon, which is the constellation Draco, having seven heads and ten horns. And according to my understanding, this lined up perfectly as well. So it had seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns upon his heads. Again, this is all in the constellations. His tail, Draco's tail, drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. There's a lot of thought that goes into what that actually means. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So in the constellations, within a generation that would see uh, a woman in travail, and it's, it's witnessed in Virgo, so they say, well, who's the woman today? And some people say, well, that's Mary giving birth to Jesus because of what it's going to say here. Well, I don't think so. Some people say it's Israel giving birth to Messiah Yeshua. I don't think so. The reason why I don't think so is because Mary had already given birth to Jesus Christ, and what happened when Jesus was born? Herod was at the womb, ready to destroy the man-child, just like this says. And then prior to that, the, the Hebrew women were giving birth, and Moses was born, and the government of those days was trying to kill every little male baby two years and younger. So we've had two events, one in Israel. We had one in the birthing of Yeshua through Mary's womb where the governments of the world, the dragon-inspired governments, are at the womb to destroy the child as soon as it's born. So those events were already accomplished, but now we're in Revelation chapter 12, and this is telling us that another woman is giving birth. Now, we start getting into Scripture in Galatians chapter 4. We see the New Jerusalem, the mother of us all, the birthing of a man-child ministry. All creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. There's a maturing. There's a birthing. Out of the womb of this new millennial morning comes forth a company of sons that will rule the nations of the earth. These are the overcomers. There's a lot to be said about that before just getting to our our center point here, I want to go a little bit deeper. So this Draco is standing at the room ready to devour the man-child. You have a global government right now that is forming all over the world. And what you just saw in Canada, stay with me in my thinking here, what we just saw in Canada when the truckers went there to oppose the mandates is you saw government flex its muscle and send those people back to where they came from with their tail beneath their, their legs, and they fled. And that just gave more strength and energy to government. And Trudeau was not alone. He was connected to global government. We know that. Now we have wars going on in Ukraine, which are a total distraction from something else that's really going on. We're going to talk about that today, something known as the Ides of March or March Madness. We're going to talk about the potential for this month being off the charts, okay? But we do know that government, the, the global government, NATO forces, the United States, whoever, we know that government's going to continue to flex its muscle. We know that there's a convoy going to Washington, D.C. They should be there today because tonight is the State of the Union address. It took the president, I think the first time in history, to take so long to be able to stand before a body, and I don't know if he's going to be able to do it, quite frankly. 
I don't know unless they put all kinds of stuff in him if he's going to be able to handle the pressure of a nation and a world watching him. He can't handle a question, let alone stand before the State of the Union where everybody has viewed this man to be exactly what he is. And for him to have anything to say is going to be impossible unless it's dragon-inspired, satanic witchcraft at the highest levels, right? I mean, because there's nothing that this man could say that is going to appease anything. And today, those truckers and that convoy are supposed to be in Washington, D.C. We'll see what happens. It's a blackout on the news channels. You don't know what's going on. And we'll talk about that. I'm just saying the facts. This is what's happening. Uh, The war in Ukraine. Again, I believe it's the magician's trick. Look, look, look. And down here, he's doing all the trickery. And I, you know, they blacked out the fact that the day we went to war with Ukraine, that we were air bombing Somalia. Nobody talked about what's been going on in Somalia with the airstrikes in the Somalian country. Very interesting. So what is this all about? Well, we're living in this context uh, in what we have seen. When the blood red moons came, when the solar eclipses came, when the, the Revelation chapter 12 uh, constellations came, when all this happened and all the other information We got into the most turmoilous time in the history of the world, or it's getting there, where we had nation rising against nation, the Arab Spring. We had economic collapses, all in the context of these time frames. But from 2014 on, we saw violence run through the streets of America, in France, in Taiwan, in all these different areas around the world. We saw an uprising of the nation against nation, mob against you know, race against race and mob rules and rioting and commotions and troubles. What are these things? What are we looking at? What are we actually seeing? Are we just ignoring all the signs? The last time somebody ignored all the signs, Jesus reproved them and said, you know, you're hypocrites. You could say this, it's going to be a, a rainy day or a cloudy day or a sunny day by looking at this, but you're ignoring the signs of the times? You're not, you're not understanding what's going on. Well, what is going on? That's what we're talking about today. What can we expect? What is this all saying? Uh, there's a woman in travail. There's a global government forming all over the world. We know it's going to come to power. It's going to be under the absolute rule of Lucifer in a, in a body, but it will be the full expression of the man of sin. Not an Adolf Hitler, not one of these other guys that have been around. Uh, it will be Lucifer himself, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 14, an exact description of who the man of sin is. It's Lucifer, son of the morning. Now, and again, we're just third grade. We're so simple. We're not trying to be complicated and complex. Uh, we didn't go to seminary to come up with an idea. This is just what the Bible says, okay? So now here we are. And there's these, these two signs, and they're telling us this is going to come on the earth. There's going to be a woman in travail, and what happens in verse 5? In Revelation chapter 12, verse 5, she brought forth a man-child, that was Jupiter exiting the matrix, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Now, we know, listen to this, and here's, I guess this is a great place to look. Look at, hold your finger, Revelation chapter 2. And I just want to read verse 26, okay? Revelation chapter 2, 26, about ruling with a rod of iron. Jesus said in Revelation 2, 26, 
He that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he, the overcomer, shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. Okay, what is this saying? Jesus is declaring in Revelation 2.26, he that overcomes, if you're an overcomer at the end of the age, and you keep his works unto the end, if you do the works of Jesus unto the end, you keep his words, you're faithful to the end, to him I will give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. It is the overcomers that will rule the nations in the millennial kingdom with a rod of iron. Now, if you go back to Psalm chapter 2, Psalm chapter 2, we know, and we're just going to do this. Psalm chapter 2, here's what we read. And I'll begin in verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So here you have the kings of the earth, all right, and the rulers. This is one world government conversation here. They're taking counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. So this is global government wanting to deal with the things of God contrarily. But he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Amen. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for your inheritance and the other most parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. All right, this is his son. This is Yeshua. This is David prophesying at a time when the kings of the earth are raging. We saw in the book of Acts when they, the early church prayed, Lord, thou hast said, the heath, why did the heathen rage? And God gave them power in the Holy Spirit to overcome their generation. We're the final generation. And God is saying that there will be overcomers in our generation. Jesus is the firstborn son of God, and he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. But he just said in Revelation chapter 2 that the overcomers will be given a rod of iron to rule the nations. So in Revelation 12, in verse 5, and she brought forth a man child, this woman, which I believe is the Jerusalem above, let me just read that in, in Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, we read these words. He talks about an allegory in verse 21. Let's just walk through it. Why not? Tell me, you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondmaid, which was Hagar, and that was Ishmael, and the other by a free woman, that was Sarah, giving birth to Isaac. But he who was of the bondwoman, Ishmael, was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman, Isaac, 
was by promise. Verse 24, which things are an allegory. So we're going to look at these things, Paul's saying, as an allegorical thought for reality. And here's what he says. For these are the two covenants. So he's saying that Ishmael was a covenant, the old covenant, and Isaac was the new covenant. Okay, not talking about Islam here. We're talking about as an allegory, the son of the flesh came from Hagar, the bondwoman. The name was Ishmael. He represents, these are two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai. The only covenant we know, excuse me, that came on Mount Sinai is when God gave his law to Moses. On Mount Sinai is where the earth shook and the people were terrified and they had all these ropes down at the bottom. Nobody could touch the mountain unless he'd be shot through the dark. So Hagar, Ishmael, represented the Sinai covenant of the Old Testament given to the nation of Israel. And what did he say? This one genders to bondage. So Sinai, what we call the, uh, the, the Mosaic law, the Sinai covenant, it was all toward bondage. Paul says, which is Agar. For this Agar, which was the mother of Ishmael, is Mount Sinai in allegory in Arabia and answers to Jerusalem, which now is, meaning the people of Israel who have never shifted into the new covenant are still under the Sinai uh, law, the law of Sinai, and they're still in bondage in the flesh, in the natural world. And then he says, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. So Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate has many more children than she which has a husband. So very simply said, the Jerusalem above is the mother of us all. This, I believe, is talking about the church, the ecclesia, the womb of the sons of God that are being born who are overcomers, the womb of the church, the womb, the birthing canal, where the sons of God, and that's not gendered, male and female, the sons are the huias. These are the mature ones who become like the firstborn son, who overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil in their generation, in this generation as well, who will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Now, Back to Revelation chapter 12. It says in verse 5 again, And she, this woman, brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, the man-child ministry, the overcomers, the sons of God. Her child was caught up unto God into his throne, the judicial throne of God. That's where the ruling and reigning is going to take place from the throne of God. And it's very important to understand that in the book of Revelation, there are those that rule and reign from within the throne, and then there are many who are before the throne. And it depends. If you're an overcomer in this generation, you're going to be caught up to the throne of God, and you're going to be in Revelation chapter 20 ruling and reigning. You're going to be a governor in the kingdom of God, but there are going to be many Christians who are before the throne who are being taken care of. So if you're an overcomer, you rule and reign. If you're not an overcomer, but you're saved by grace through faith, 
and you're before the throne in eternal life. That's cool. But notice there are two, two different camps here. Now, the overcomer will be caught up to God unto his throne. And, the, and then we see in verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness. Now, again, I don't want to run through it. I'm going to go to Revelation 20 and show you what I just said. In Revelation chapter 20, we, we start with verse 1, and this is where the dragon, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. That event is coming. It's not done yet. It's coming. And he'll deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Now, when does this happen? This happens after the wrath of God, which is a point we're going to get into here in just a little bit, when Mystery Babylon, the beast, the false prophet, are destroyed by the seven vials of the wrath of God in Revelation 16. Revelation 19, the Lord returns with his armies. He comes to judge and make war. There's fire in his eyes, a sword out of his mouth. He smites the nations, and he brings his kingdom onto this earth to begin his 1,000-year rule and reign, right? That's when the devil is locked up. The beast and the false prophet have already been cast in the lake of fire. Now we get to verse 4 in Revelation chapter 20. And I saw thrones, thrones, and they sat upon them. Who are they? Daniel chapter 7 will tell you who exactly who they are. They are the overcomers. They are they, watch it says here, I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. This is key. Hold your finger there. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7. Judgment was given unto them. Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, I'm going to pick it up in verse 23. Daniel 7, 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth. This is the final one world government beast connected to everything else, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and he shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings. And you get to Revelation, you get seven heads, ten horns, ten horns, ten crowns on the head. So it's all there. But listen, verse 25. And he shall speak great words against the Most High. You'll find that in Revelation 13. Shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Three and a half years, they won't be able to do anything. And he'll think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand. And this is consistent with Revelation 13, till a time, a year, and times two more years. That's three in the dividing of time, half a time is three and a half years. Then it says, but the judgment shall sit, the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end, and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. And now I want to go back because I missed one thing here. And it says in verse 21, 
I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints, Revelation 13, and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Now go back to Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, this is now in the millennial kingdom, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. These are the saints who are going to be the overcomers, who are now going to begin to rule and reign from within the throne room of God. And it says, and I saw, that's one group, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded, for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. When Jesus Christ returns from heaven immediately after the great tribulation, Matthew 24, 29, when he comes in the clouds and the trumpet sounds and the voice of an archangel, the dead in Christ will rise. We who are alive and remaining will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That is the first resurrection. You have to remember that. Immediately after the tribulation, when the Lord returns, the trumpet sounds, the dead rise. That is the first resurrection. Resurrection. Then we alive and remaining are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So the dead in Christ rise. We're alive and remaining. We get to go with the Lord. That's where we're all at now. Now God's pouring out his wrath upon the earth. Revelation 16, 17, and 18. In Revelation 19 is when we return. And then when he judges and makes wars and casts the false prophet and the beast into the lake of fire, he locks up Satan for a thousand years. Now begins the millennial reign, and you see the thrones. And, there, and everybody else that died stays dead for a thousand years who were not part of the first resurrection. So what does this all mean? Man, we're going in so many different directions, right? So let's go back to Revelation chapter 12 now. And I just wanted you to see, <clears throat> I just wanted you to see that this woman uh, in verse 6 and the woman that gave birth to the man-child, who I believe is the church, fled into the wilderness. She fled into the wilderness because persecution's coming. The sons of God are being caught up to the throne. The woman is fleeing to the throne, which means they are ordained to rule and reign in the thrones of God. In the thrones of God. I think we're doing okay here. We're getting a lot of calls, and that's okay. So she goes into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God, and that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and sixty days. That's twelve hundred and sixty days. A woman, whoever this woman is, in the last days, she's going into a place called the wilderness where. She is going to be fed. She's going to be taken care of. There is a wilderness. There is a place. Some people call it, uh, not Basra, but they call it the sheep pen or the, uh, the, the where, where in Israel, there's a place called Petra. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a place that they believe that, you know, physically it's going to be there. Whatever it is, 
There is a wilderness for the woman. That's important to realize, where she will be fed for three and a half years. Okay, so a lot is happening in Revelation 12, all connected to the signs in the heaven. So the constellations were the signal that will eventually manifest. So there's somebody is getting ready to go into the wilderness. Someone is going into the wilderness. The sons of God, the overcomers who are going to rule with a rod of iron and are going to sit in the thrones of God in the throne room. Watch this. Revelation chapter 7. Let's go to Revelation chapter 7 real quick. And here, I want to read something to you. And it says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. All right, here we go. Revelation 7, 14. I said unto him, sir, you know. He said to me, he's asking, who is this great multitude of people that no man could number? Who are these people? There's just so many, you can't even number them. And he's asking, who are they? He said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God. So who is this untold multitude in Revelation 7? There are two people groups in Revelation 7. The overcomers, 144,000, and then an untold multitude of people that came out of great tribulation, which were in it, and the great tribulation served to deal with spots, wrinkles, and blemishes, And now where are they? They are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. Now, what did it say in Revelation 2? He who overcomes shall sit with me in my throne. I want to show you Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelation 3, 20 now is saying, If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him, and he with me. Here it is. Revelation 3, 21. To him that overcomes... Will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame and am set down with my father in his throne? So in Revelation 7, you have those who are before the throne, the untold multitude, but the overcomers are sitting with Christ in his throne. Revelation 20, ruling and reigning. This is his cabinet. This is the Christ administration of the overcomers who are going to rule and reign. Not all Christians are going to be sitting in the throne. There are going to be an untold multitude that are going to be before the throne that are going to serve God day and night. Just want to keep it straight. Revelation chapter 12 again. As we move closer and closer to the great tribulation, and you know that's what we're coming to, That's why these numbers, 5781, the Hebrew year that we're in right now, pack your bags, anguish, tribulation, uh, pressure, distress. It's all warning us of what's coming. It's going to manifest. 
And I believe we've already seen the four winds. And my personal belief is that this is going to come rapidly now. And the incremental moments and the moment-to-moment is going to hit with an exponential super thrust into the Great Tribulation. And everybody's going in, but the 144,000 who are sealed won't be touched by it. This woman is going into the wilderness for three and a half years. She's not going to be touched by it. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Those who are faithful and keep the words of God, I will keep you from the hour of temptation that's coming upon the whole earth to to try them that dwell on the earth. So God has the keeping power that even during the great tribulation, he knows how to keep a woman in the wilderness fed. He knows how to keep the 144,000 sealed. He knows how to bring people into the chamber, shut the door till the indignation be overpassed. He knows how to bring Noah into his ark and shut the door until it's over. He knows how to do it. He keeps those overcomers. He keeps certain groups or individuals from the Great Tribulation while the untold multitude are going into it. Martyrdom, persecution, suffering, death. But they will remain faithful and have their place before the throne of God. Okay, I'm leaving that to God. I'm not the judge. But it does say it. Now we move into verse 7 of Revelation chapter 12. There was war in heaven. I have to believe, because we are the generation that witnessed the tetrad of blood red moons, the solar eclipses, the constellation of Revelation 12, that there was war in heaven, that that is happening presently. It's been an ongoing war in heaven. I believe this. This is simply what I believe the scripture says. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. There's a spiritual battle going on in the second heaven, right beyond our third dimensional world, in another realm called the second heaven, or in heaven, there is an angelic battle raging. Michael and the angels are fighting. The devil and the dragon and his angels are fighting. There's a battle, and that battle is shaking the heavens right now. I believe that. All that's going on in the world is due to that battle that is raging. Well, the devil fought in his angels and prevailed not. So that we know now, John saw this battle and the devil losing the battle in the second heaven. And the great dragon. Oh, it says, he he prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. So the days of the devil being in the second heaven, doing all of his secret dirty work against people on earth, in our three-dimensional earthly walk, he's been behind the scenes. But now, because of this battle, the devil, there's no place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out of heaven, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world, he was cast out into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. Now, you can see that in Luke. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. I'll hold my finger there. Luke chapter 10. Jesus actually beheld that day when it happened. In Luke chapter 10, we read this. Luke chapter 10.
You remember he sent out the 70, okay, and they all come back. Here it is, Luke 10, 17. The 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through your name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Ooh, Jesus saw Revelation chapter 12. Where did he see it? In the spirit. He saw that an overcoming church in the last days who would step into their mantle of authority that was the name of Jesus. We're in the year of the contending rods right now. That, that they came back saying the devils are subject. So the church, the disciples, were doing battle with devils and they were subjecting themselves to them. Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. He's talking about Revelation chapter 12. The battle that's raging in the heavens, it's being fueled by the prayers of the saints. The churches, there's got to be an overcoming church. There's got to be a people that are going to walk in the authority of Jesus Christ during these days, right? It's got to be. Now, back to Revelation chapter 12. We just saw that the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world, was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So where does the devil come in these last days? What is the great tribulation? It's not going to be the devil in the heavens anymore deceiving everybody, he's going to manifest on this earth. That's Revelation, That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the man of sin, who is Lucifer, Isaiah 14. Look what happens. Verse 10. It just simply says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So the heavens have just been cleansed. The heavens are now rejoicing. There's something happening. There's a short period of time now. And all of a sudden, the glory of the great king of heaven, Jesus Christ, he's going to be coming in his glory, right? This is all. They know this is a sign of that thing ready to happen. And when does Jesus come? Immediately after the tribulation. So let's keep reading. It says in verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. So now he's talking about the overcomers who during the time that is right now upon us, they're not going to take the mark of the beast. They're not going to take it in their forehead, their hand. They're not going to bow to the image of Baal. They're not going to do it. The overcomers are going to overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, they will not love their lives unto death. Therefore, verse 12, rejoice, you heavens, you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea at that time, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. Do you know that the devil knows that when this event happens, when he's cast onto this earth, and he knows he has a great time, uh, or a short time, he's talking about the three and a half years, the 42 months, the 1260 days. When this event happens, which is on, it's happening right now, the battle, the devil's about to make landfall, and what is he? He has great wrath. Who has great wrath? 
the devil has great wrath. And he begins the three and a half year global great tribulation. And those on the earth, there's a woe. Woe to what's ready to happen on this earth. Okay? He knows he has a short time. When the dragon saw that he was cast under the earth, when he comes, he persecuted the woman, which brought forth the man-child. He's going against that, 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 that holy reality of God. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle. Going back to Revelation 12, 7, remember, or verse 6, she goes into the wilderness where she has a place prepared. So now the devil's on the earth. <clears throat> He's persecuting the woman. He's going after her. But the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time, a year, and times, two more years, which is three, half a time, three and a half years from the face of the serpent. So this is consistent theology. The woman's going into the wilderness. But what takes her there? Okay, come on. What takes her there? The two wings of an eagle, right? The two wings of an eagle. Why is that important? Well, some people thought that was American Airlines taking the Jewish people into America. Nah, we're not there yet. The two wings of an eagle that care, cause her to be carried, uh, that take her <clears throat> and cause that she might fly into the wilderness. Two wings, two wings, two wings of a great eagle. Cause her that she might fly into the wilderness. All right. There's a wilderness. There's a woman who gave birth to the overcomers, a man-child, who are going to rule and reign. She's now being persecuted, but she gets two wings of a great eagle so she can fly or be transported, or to be brought into a place of protection for three and a half years. It's not a pre-tribulational flight into heaven. She's going into the wilderness by two wings. Ah, what does that actually mean? Speculation can grow, right? But we can start thinking. Do you remember when Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism that the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. That dove was a symbolic representation of his ministry. Gentle, compassionate, comforting, kind, loving. The coo of a dove came upon Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit in a symbolic manifestation as a dove. Do you remember a few years later, after Yeshua had been crucified, buried, rose on the third day, stood around for 40 days, and then ascended to the right hand of God, that the early church in the book of Acts was in one accord, in harmony, in one place, and the Holy Spirit came upon them in the upper room. How did he come? 
as cloven tongues of fire. Cloven tongues. Why tongues? Why the Holy Spirit now coming not as a gentle dove, but as cloven tongues or divided tongues of fire? Well, because that anointing of the tongues represented the mission of the church to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, to preach the resurrection with fire, passion. That's what the early church got. There's an anointing, I believe. There's a couple of more anointings coming, but a symbolic anointing of a great eagle with the wings of a message that are going to carry the ecclesia, woo her into the wilderness. There's got to come an anointing that is going to convince the ecclesia of God to come out of her, my people, and bring her into a place where she's going to be nourished for three and a half years from the face of the serpent. There's going to be a place of protection for who this woman is. And she's going to literally be caught by the wind of the wings of God's word, the Holy Spirit in another form, carrying her into her place where she's going to be kept safe. See, a lot of people are not going to bail out. They're not going to give up the system of this world. They're not going to give up. And they're going to get caught in the trap, and they're going to have to go through the great tribulation. But there will be a wooing anointing upon this specific group of people called the woman that will be transported by the Spirit into the wilderness where God was going to keep her safe during the Great Tribulation. That's what this is saying. Verse 15, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. So he's vomiting out of his mouth a flood of iniquity or whatever that water is to cause her to be carried away. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon, now that's, that's, that's pretty intense stuff for the earth opening its mouth, sucking up this flood. Listen to verse 17. The dragon, the dragon, who earlier was said to have great wrath, The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. So the woman gave birth to a man-child that's caught up to the throne to overcomers, but there are many Christians who are of the seed of the woman, right? goes back to prophecy in Genesis, for goodness sake. But the devils now can't touch the woman, that unique woman, but he's going to go to make war with the remnant, the remaining ones of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Wait a second. Let's understand something. I was reading something, and I, I don't say this to disparage anybody, But I do want to read this because I think it's super important. This was coming from a particular ministry, and I'm even going to avoid telling the name because I don't want to insult anybody. 
Um, this is coming from a ministry that speaks a lot of truth, and I'll read some of their truth to you in just a little bit. But their final word, after telling all the truth about what's going on in so many different areas of the world right now, they said this. Millions of people, specifically Christians, will suddenly disappear from this planet in an immediate flash of events and be raptured straight into heaven by the Lord Jesus Christ. They said this is ready to happen. It is, it's not enough just to say you believe in the rapture. You need to make sure you're really saved and will be part of this imminent supernatural departure. If you are truly ready for it, then don't be spending what little time we have left living for this world. Rather be pleading with as many people as you can to escape God's soon coming wrath. Okay, what is, it, what is this saying? They're saying that there's an immediate pre-tribulational rapture because of the impending coming wrath of God. But you see, this is where the error is. The great tribulation has nothing to do with the wrath of God. We're not escaping God's wrath. We're not appointed to the wrath of God. I get that. Everybody gets that. But this ministry is telling people the imminent, imminent pre-trib, supernatural rapture is to keep them from the wrath of God. But everything we just read in Revelation 12 about the dragon that's coming to begin the great tribulation is the great wrath of the devil. The dragon was wroth with the woman. It's the dragon's wrath during the Great Tribulation. It's not the wrath of God. So people are putting this idea of a whisking away, a woman with eagle's wings going into the wilderness. They're saying there's an imminent preacher rapture to cause people to flee from the wrath of God that's coming. No. The Bible teaches that the Great Tribulation is the wrath of the dragon. We're going to be here for that. That generation, when this tribulation begins, when Satan is cast out of heaven onto this earth and begins his three and a half years, he knows he has a time is short. When he begins his global one world government under the man of sin, I mean, all of it, mystery Babylon, the false prophet, it's everything the Bible says will be. The majority of Christians are going to come out of the Great Tribulation having washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. In other words, they've been beheaded, persecuted, slain. There, there's going to be a tremendous amount of death and destruction coming from the wrath of the dragon. And who did the dragon say he was going to make war with? Not the unsanctified, unredeemed, unregenerate world. He's coming to make war with the remnant of her seed, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The very next passage is Revelation 13, verse 1. And I saw, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast. The mechanism of war that the dragon is going to use is the beast that rises up out of the sea of humanity, a one-world government that is going to come and do what Daniel chapter 7 said was going to happen, Revelation 17 says is going to happen, Revelation... It's all 
the beast government that is coming to make war with the saints. This isn't the wrath of God. This is the wrath of the dragon, the wrath of the beast, the false prophet. He who endures to the end of this great tribulation shall be saved. Many are going to defect from the truth, and many are going to fall away. The love of many is going to wax cold. The events that are going on in the world right now are trying to communicate a message to believers of what we're ready to go through. And if we're not given those wings and we're not caught up by the Spirit to get into the wilderness, then we're going into the Great Tribulation. And that's going to be a real cleansing, washing time. It is the Jews during Nazi Germany. When the Germans, the Nazis, came into the ghettos and they came into Germany and started dealing with the Jews, that's the imagery. That's what the devil's coming to do to those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Christians. And these ministries are telling people, don't worry, you're out of here. Because they're saying it's the wrath of God. The wrath of God doesn't show up until Revelation 16, after the tribulation period, after the church really is taken up into heaven, which is immediately following this great tribulation. But you're getting ready to enter into a season of the global great tribulation all over the world through a one-world government after population reduction, and the nations of the earth are worshiping the dragon, Revelation 13, and the beast. So what are we saying today? All of the signs of the times, all of the signs that are going on around the world, all the signs from heaven to earth events, everything we see must be viewed through the scriptural lens. And we have to interpret it. Someone is going to hear this message anointed by God, the Spirit of God, the symbol of a baptism of an eagle anointing, that's going to cause people to say, you know what, I need to go into this. It's time for me to exit Babylon. It's time for me to leave, come out of her, my people. It's time for me to enter into my chamber and shut the door until the indignation be overpassed. It's time for me to enter into the ark. It's time for me to go into Goshen. It's time for me to enter into the refuge. It's time for me to be hid. There's an anointing that's going to carry people into that reality. Because God has been preparing a place. And God will protect what is his. In that wilderness, God will protect what is his. The question is, will people get caught in the trap? Jesus said in Luke 21, as a snare shall it come upon the whole earth, and they shall not escape. That means you're stuck in it. If we don't get rid of these, if we don't get rid of computers, if we don't get rid of the banking systems, if we don't get rid of the way we live life on earth, if we continue to live according to this systems, this world system, we will eventually get caught. The call to come out of her, my people, you're beginning to hear it right here, right now. It's been around for a long time, 
but I think it's going to get momentous. And I think the volume of this eagle anointing that's going to cause this woman to go into the wilderness, persuading her, picking her up, lifting her up, come out of her, is coming. There are already those who are preparing a place for God's kids who are going to hear this sound. I don't claim to know everything about Bible prophecy. In fact, very little. But what I read in this Bible is telling me celestial signs, earthly signs, biblical signs, 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 everywhere signs. I remember a song went something like this. I hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it's closer now than it's ever been. I could almost hear the father say, son, go get the children. At the midnight cry, we'll be going home. I look around me. I see prophecy fulfilled. The signs of the times, they're appearing everywhere. Oh, the signs of the times, they are appearing everywhere. And if we don't respond to them, if we wait, if we delay like lingering lot, we may find ourselves running and fleeing with nothing into the wilderness. Right? The sound of the Spirit is coming. The sound of the voice that will have energy to bring people to where they need to be. Because during the Great Tribulation, you cannot buy or sell without the mark of the beast. During the Great Tribulation, you will be forced to worship the image of the beast. If you get caught in that system, you will be the most hated people on the face of the earth. Jesus said, you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. There's a sound. We need to pay attention because it's late. This Ukrainian thing is a massive distraction they're using to bring in control Someone calls it a digital passport. Someone, there's, there are things waiting to come down, to clamp down, and we're all distracted by these other things. Yet these other things God will use for his glory. And my question to you today is, where are you in your thinking? Where are you in your heart? What are, you know, what are you hearing? Tonight, Joe Biden is going to stand up as a president in Washington, D.C., supposedly, and give the State of the Union address. A friend of mine, Elder Phil, contacted us yesterday and his beloved wife, Miriam, and said, God spoke to me. I said, Phil, 
Elder Phil, what did God speak to you about? And he said, he told me about the Ides of March. I found out later that his beloved wife, Miriam, Elder Miriam, that God had been speaking to her about it before he spoke, before he said anything. And so he gave us some great information about the Khazarian mafia that's in the Ukraine. President Trump said the Ukraine was one of the most corrupt nations on the earth, and now we're hearing they're not really an actual nation, that they're a real lawless nation, quite frankly, or a lawless people. They are very corrupt. Joe Biden did a lot of business in the Ukraine, a lot of sex trafficking, by the way, a lot of oil business. And so I thought, well, what are the Ides of March? And so I looked it up. Elder Phil gave us a download of it. The Ides of March is the 74th day in the Roman calendar corresponding to 15th of March. It was marked by several religious observances and was notable for the Romans as a deadline for setting debts. In 44 BC, it became notorious as the date of the assassination of Julius Caesar. Hmm which made the Ides of March a turning point in Roman history. Julius Caesar. An assassination of a high-ranking political official. An actual Caesar. A Khazar. The Khazarian Mafia. The Caesars are the Khazars. And who are the Khazars? We're going to talk about that this week as well. I don't want to do that right now. I want to get more. And I want to study more about the Pythians and the Masonic Lodges and the Illuminati. And I want to get into this thing. I want to get deeper into it um, so we have a greater understanding. We're going to be innocent concerning what is evil, wise concerning what is good, but to understand we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Eyes of March, Phil said. The assassination of a head of political power. I was hearing a few days ago, because of college basketball, I guess, March Madness. The stage is set. The world is putting on quite a show. Smoke and mirrors everywhere. What is real? What is true? The great deceiver who deceives the whole world has been at work. Even the elect of God could be deceived in these days. What is it saying? You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Sin in the human heart, unchecked, Unconfessed is a wide open door to being deceived. Get your heart clean. Get your mind clean. Get your conscience clear of any offense toward God or men. Be open to hear the wind and the wing of the Spirit. Open yourself. For many who are defiled and who are still operating in guilt, Shame, condemnation. 
because of the reproach that the devil put upon them through accusation, the accuser of the brethren, they cannot hear this voice clearly. And even if they did, not until that reproach is rolled off of them, which could only be done through the sacrifice of the Messiah, Jesus, the shedding of his blood, canceling out the guilt, shame, and condemnation of their past sins, go and sin no more, will they ever be free? Labor, work, labor to enter into that rest. Strive to enter into the narrow gate. Labor, strive, work out your salvation. Stop sitting back waiting for a celestial wand to be waved over you and you're going to be presto perfect. It doesn't work that way. I agree with the assessment for people that were told that they're waiting for the rapture, which is the wrath of God, which is not true. It's the wrath of the dragon, so we know that's wrong. But I agree with the part, make sure that you're really saved. Make sure that you're really saved. I thought I was saved. Are you really saved? Are you really? Am I really saved by grace? Well, to understand that, I've got to know what the word saved means. Does being saved mean I believe in Jesus and therefore I'm going to heaven? Is that what it means? It's not what the Greek word means. The Greek word is to be delivered, to be made whole. Hmm. How am I delivered? By the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. How am I made whole? Spirit, soul, and body preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. How does that happen? To get my spirit, soul, and body in alignment, to work right, to have everything in order. It happens by the finished work of Jesus Christ and my faith extracting that work and bringing it as a benefit into my life to get me right before God. I'm smoking, I'm drinking, I'm cussing. I'm earthly-minded, I'm carnally-minded, I operate out of a human nature, I'm fleshly. That's not saved. See, the misrepresentation of salvation is I'm going to heaven because I'm under grace. Well, that's true. But grace actually saves. The law could not save anybody. It had no power to save the human soul, or to make it whole. The law couldn't do it. So God gave grace to deliver. God gave grace to make whole. God gave grace to cleanse the conscience. God gave grace to bring forgiveness, healing, restoration, deliverance, salvation. Has the grace of God worked in your life to make you whole? That's the real question. For many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not done all these things in your name? Cast out devils, prophesied, healed the sick. I operated in the gifts. And you'll say, no, I don't know you. Without grace working in us, changing us, transforming us from the inside out, we're sus subject to the potential falling away. 
If we're operating in the flesh, we're trying to save our skin. If we're operating out of a carnal mindset, earthly mindedness, the things of this world. If we're allowing unforgiveness and grudges and lust and pride and jealousy and envy to remain in us, we're going to be exploited by the devil that's going to hit the earth with a presence. It's going to cause awesome dread in the human nature of man. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, the devils believe and tremble. What time is it? Today, the first day of March, marks the last month of 5781. And if we have not prepared, if we haven't gotten our bags packed, if we haven't begun the journey out, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, intrinsically, inwardly, externally, if we are not moving in the flow of what God has been teaching, it appears through all the evidence, signs in the heaven, events on earth, the word of God, prophecy, it appears that this is going to be an incredible month. Keep working out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'll do the same. Keep pressing into the heart of God. Keep confessing when you know you've done things wrong. Keep confessing your sins with a promise that God will not only forgive you, but cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Keep washing and bathing in the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit. Continue to press in for the anointing. Be a wise virgin. Get the oil into your lamp. Don't stop to answer questions of a devil who wants to delay you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God knows your heart. Those of you who are honoring him, laboring for him, God knows. Don't be afraid. It's when we are walking in the flesh, when we are walking in strife and division and schism and gossip and slander and backbiting and pride and ego and envy and jealousy and lust and all these, we're walking in that and then we turn around and say, God knows my heart. Yes, he does. And it ought to strike the fear of God in every heart that walks in the flesh. That's kind of where I'm at today. And we'll see what March brings, particularly March 15th. We'll see what it brings. I would like to go to our phones. I'm going to go to the chat room. I want to say good morning to everybody. God bless you. What did you hear today? What did you hear today? You may be part of a convoy getting ready to arrive in Washington, D.C. You may be 
in, in one of so many different things you're doing, but you've just heard something. What did you hear today? Was there a clear sound? Even though we went through so many different parts, what did you hear? Where's your thought at in your belly? Not in here, in your belly. What is God saying to us? How much agape love has occupied your heart, your belly, your soul, your mind? How much love for God do you have? How much love for yourself do you have? For you, the one that God bought, the one that God purchased, the one that God loves. How much love do you have for God? How much love do you have for you? And how much love do you have for your neighbor? And how much love do you have for your enemies? Doesn't it appear true in Scripture that the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart, a pure motive? a pure agenda, pure thought, isn't love the measure, the standard, and we're to be filled up and to grow more and more and more in love? If you don't want to be afraid about anything, let love guide every move you make. Let love direct you. Let love grow in you. Love requires forgiveness. Love requires letting go. And that's what forgiveness means, let go. It means not holding the weight of a grudge or an offense or holding other people captive in your mind because you know what they did. Let it Go. That's forgiveness. That's love. They don't deserve to be let go, but you let it go. We don't deserve to be forgiven, but he let us go. Love never fails. I desire to be filled with love more than giftings and powers and anointings for activities. I desire love more than anything. I would give up every other thing, to be filled with God's love because there's the real power. And then once love is here, everything I do, whether it's healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out a devil, binding a demon, going to war, being led in my thinking, is this the love of God? This is where the overcomers who demonstrate their love for God, and that's why they overcome. Do you love God today? Not in our lips, not in our mouth, but in your belly, in your heart. Do you love God today? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Do you obey God's word? Do you obey his commandments? 
Thank God we're not under 603 Johnson Tittles of the law. Thank God we're not under the Ten Commandments. People think they justify themselves. Well, I keep the Ten Commandments. We're not under the Ten Commandments anymore. If you read your New Testament Bible, do we obey God's commandments? Well, what are they? They're not grievous, according to the New Testament. Here is the commandment. Jesus left. Love one another. In the body of Christ, love one another. Forgive one another. Sacrifice. Serve. Care for one another. Love one another. And then, of course, the other commandments, love God. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Everything is love. Everything is love. And have the wisdom to understand love and to experience God's love. Because if God's love is not involved, then it's self-love, and it's weak. The, love, the, the world loves the world. Sinners love sinners. We're, if we don't know the love of God for ourselves and what that love is about, how could we ever really love anybody else the way that God loves us? What standard of love shall I use? If it's not God's love, which is unconditional love, undeserving, while we were enemies, he loved us. He died for us. Everything about this moment and the success of this moment will be selfless love for God, for neighbor, Yourself, for the body of Christ, for enemies. Everything is going to be love. Is God love? God is love. Does he have wrath? You bet he does. You bet God has wrath. Is God a man of war? God is a man of war. How could a God of love be a God of war? He is. Accept it. There was a man named Phineas. Oh, people go crazy when I talk about Phineas. Phineas was sitting in a camp one day. And the entirety of the nation of Israel had sinned a grievous sin. Kind of like the United States of America today the Judeo-Christian nation, that has sinned grossly against the Lord in our debauched sin. And because of their sin, 23,000 people had already died of a plague. The sin was sexual. The men of Israel had sexual intercourse with the women of Midian. This sin brought a curse on the camp. And everybody's dying. Moses, Aaron, and the elders are standing off, off the side by a tent. Everybody's dying. They're carrying bodies out by the tens of thousands. 
And they're wondering, oh, God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? This curse is on us. Into the camp walks an Israeli man with a Midianite woman in his hand, drawing her into his tent because their sin was so sick. And even though people were dying, their lust was so great. Who cares about 23,000 people dead? I'm taking this woman into my tent, and I'm going to do what we're doing, lust. And as he brings her into the tent, the elders, Moses, Aaron, the priests, they don't know what to do. There's this man sitting down. His name was Phineas. He's sitting down next to his tent, and he sees this man bringing the sin of Israel that's killing everybody. Phineas, according to the biblical account, rises up, stands on his feet. He takes his weapon, which was a javelin, and he goes into the tent And he takes his javelin spear and he pierces the man of Israel through his heart and the woman through the man's heart and the woman's heart. Kills them. And what does God say? God says to Moses, Moses, and I am paraphrasing, now The curse will stop. This man, Phineas, I will bless him in his generations forever. For he has put a stop to the plague because he had passion and zeal for me. He hated the sin that was bringing the death to my purpose for Israel. And God blessed his lineage forever. When Jesus went into the temple with a whip and overturned the tables of the money changers, the disciples remembered the zeal of the Lord has eaten me up. Jesus was a man of zeal. The lover, the lover, showed his zeal for the things of God. This is to be a house of God. This is not to be a den of thieves and money changers. In our generation, if there is no zeal left, if there is no passion left, we are doomed. All the talk in the world will mean nothing. If there is a convoy making its way into Washington, D.C., as there was a convoy going up into Canada, and it was motivated by zeal. These are the zealots. Canada proved nothing except to expose, as our dear friend said last week. If they're up there and they're patriots, they're the modern-day Maccabees, we're going up, we got zeal, we got to stop this, We'll see what happens. We're living at a time when global government is flexing. The beast is rising. It's forming. 
Where is the zeal in your heart? And what does that zeal compel you to do? In the spirit realm, the zeal of the Lord is a fiery passion to penetrate the darkness and to go into spiritual battle with the forces of darkness. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. In the zeal of the born-again sons of God, the fiery passion to penetrate the darkness, to do warfare with the devil, to rebuke Satan out of the heavenly realms, to rebuke, to renounce, to bind, to condemn the work of the enemy in your sphere of influence. You could release spiritual zeal. March Madness, the Ides of March, assassinations of high-positioned political figures. The Ides of March, beware, Elder Phil said, beware the Ides of March. I've got a call coming in right now. I'm going to take that call. I'm going to position myself to see if I can hear everything just fine and say, good morning, God bless you, welcome to the broadcast, you are on the air. Good morning, Pastor V. Hello, sir. What a beautiful day it is today. Oh, my goodness. So beautiful out here. I'm up here at a uh, a property up near Decatur. I'm walking the dogs, and they're running around in the sunshine in a cow pasture. I uh, left the house with my garment, my cloak, <laughs> and my tunic, and now I have shed the tunic and the cloak down to just the garment. It's so warm today. Praise the wow. Lord. Amen. <laughs> I wanted to comment, you know, um, the farther along I go in time attending New Wine Ministry services, the more acutely my wife, the more acutely my wife and I are becoming aware of the importance of paying attention to Scripture and not paying so much attention to the world at hand. You know, I I keep calling in to the broadcast here, and I I, I expect by now I sound like a broken record. But I just want to offer a a real world in the trenches point of view. I'm not a preacher. You know, I'm just a regular guy. And the thing is that I see, my wife and I both see through the biblical lens what is going on in the world. We hear about the news reports and we see the way people out in the open, people out in the streets are behaving people bragging about how they've been vaccinated and people wearing their masks out in the open air in the middle of a parking lot. Come on now. The only information that really matters to myself and my wife is the word of God. That's what really matters. And the farther along we go, the more that becomes more and more true for us. 
you know, she and I really are in the process of uh, divorcing ourselves from the world. We really are doing that. Now, I'm not going to say publicly on, on the air exactly what we are doing, but those who know us know exactly what we're doing, and we are following the advice. Uh, when the Bible says, come out of her, my people, that scripture really, really means something. And so that's what we're doing, and we're most grateful. You know, I, I had a conversation yesterday, Pastor, for uh, – I met with a, a good friend for about two hours. He and I, we were working on my truck together to solve a, a drivability issue in my vehicle. We were talking, and we, we started talking about church, and I asked him, I, you know, I know that he goes to church, and I said to him, uh, brother, how's it going in church? What are you guys studying these days? And so he told me that they are, they have embarked upon a cover-to-cover study of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, from Genesis to Revelation. And he told me that right now they're towards the end of the book of Genesis, and they're basically doing a big Bible study every Sunday. And I asked him, I said, well, brother, what is your pastor doing about preparing you guys for the end times. He says, well, you know, I mean, we're aware of the end times, but we're not really doing anything about it. We're not doing anything to be prepared. And I go, okay, all right. And that's as far as I took it. I I did not want to offend this friend by perhaps insinuating that his church's point of view is not complete and not productive. I, I did not go there. Then last night, Cindy and I, we treated ourselves to a dinner out, and uh, I needed to excuse myself to go to the restroom, and we had to stand in line at the restroom, so I struck up a conversation with this gentleman who was standing next to me, uh, and I asked him, I said, hey, uh, you know, I, this fellow, he, he looked really familiar, so I asked him, I said, where do you work? You know, I, I said, I, I feel like I know you. I've met you before. And I said, where do you go to church? And he says, well, I don't go to church. And I said, you don't go to church? He says, yes, that's correct. I said, well, how can this be? <laughs> he says, I just don't. And so I said, well, let me tell you something. God loves you. And if you'll allow me to say so, Jesus loves you. And really, brother, it is high time that you and your wife start going to church. I said, wouldn't you agree? that the world is changing? And he said to me, well, the world is always changing. That's what makes the world such an amazing, wonderful place. And I said, well, I'm here to tell you the world is changing not for the better at this time. And the sooner you start preparing yourself by reading the Bible and going to church, the better you're going to be prepared. And I said to him, "Let let me just say to you one last thing, sir. I said, you don't want to be caught unprepared, believe me. He goes, oh, okay, all right, all right, thank you. And that was the end of the discussion. But Pastor V, I, I just really feel concerned and I feel sorrow for people who are going to be caught unawares, both people who are believers and people who are not believers. The Bible needs to be known and understood. and. That's the bottom line. 
that's my story, sir, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, that's beautiful. Yeah, there's such a, uh, such a spirit in the world today. God bless your boldness to tell people about Jesus in a restaurant. Uh, so many times we just walk by. We don't want to say anything because we're afraid of whatever. Uh, God bless your boldness. And, yeah, it's getting harder and harder because the days are coming where no man will be able to do anything. And salvation of souls at the end of the harvest. So uh, thank you for sharing your thoughts. I appreciate it as always, Brother Mark. God bless you. Continue on in the journey. We'll see you a little bit later today. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. You are welcome, and thanks for calling in. We've got another call coming in, area code 479-640. Good morning. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Better. Since since I met with you and um, uh, been able to let go and be able to find a new and a new love, and I just wanted to call in, and I, uh, we have a mutual friend that sent me the uh, podcast, and I want to acknowledge him. I will as soon as I hang up. But I want to thank you for what you do because today, listening to your sermon, opened my eyes to so very much. And, you know, I've grown up to all of these things that uh, we are taught by, I'm just going to say it, by the Baptists. And they want it their way, and they think that it's going to be this way, and it, it isn't going to be completely th- their way. Um, I believe in what you say. I believe in what you teach. And I want to thank you for that, and thank you for the visit. And I would like to uh, also have another visit very, very soon. If we could arrange that, I would appreciate that with with you and Patricia. And I just wanted to thank you for what you do. That is that is absolutely amazing. Thank you for that, and God bless you. And that is quite an honor to hear those words. And let's make sure, as soon as we're done, contact us. Let's set that next appointment up, okay? Praise Monday would living. be great. All right, very good. Let's go for next Monday. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, that's that's uh, that's humbling. Thank you, Father. It's, it makes it all worthwhile. Uh, somebody's hearing. All right. Well, that's it with us. It looks like the phone calls have gone quiet. Let me just check our comment room here. The comments have been rather quiet today, too. Um, But I think we've had our day. Tomorrow, we look forward to being with our friends, Brian and Kathy. They should be broadcasting right from Tennessee tomorrow. So we're going to look forward to that. And we'll look forward to that conversation. So without further ado, it is a little late. Wow. 1055. Have a super blessed day. We love you. God bless you. And until we meet again, shalom.